Good morning, it's show number 40 and you're listening to The Big Kickoff. Good morning, welcome to the big kickoff and Liffy Sound 96.4 FM. We have Neil Dobbs, Noan Shanahan in with us today. Two have to take over from David Bugle, so that's how immense he is. Neil, welcome. Good to be here again. Owen, how are you? Yeah, good. It's good. We got you up at uh, an unsavoury hour, <laughs> but uh, I suppose it's, it's good for once. Uh, Neil, what have we got in show today? Well, we have our usual football banter, we've all a couple of other sports stories, and we have a very good interview with Alex O'Shea, the running fireman, who is doing 32 marathons, 32 counties in 16 days. The only reason he's doing that is for charity. Why would anyone want to do two marathons a day? Because you can. Because you can, <laughs> yeah. Well, everyone can, it's just the pain. <laughs> um, and we have plenty to discuss, I suppose, football Gives us loads to discuss with the Champions League, the Europa League, and of course, uh, Wobbly Lions. So we'll talk more about Wobbly Lions after our first song. Oh, and you're going to introduce the first song. Who is it? And uh, This is a simple kid. He is a singer from Cork. Cork born. Hasn't released that in a while, but this was one of his most popular songs. Welcome back to the big kickoff and Liffy Sound 96.4 FM. If you want to text us, it's 087-062-7138. The big kickoff, 96.4 at gmail.com. And of course, we're on everything, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and whatever else. Okay. V-A-R. 
are. There's only one way we can start with, and that's the wobbly lines that we had last night between Manchester United and Huddersfield. Now, Owen, I'm going to start with you, because you've seen the match, yeah. didn't you? Uh, yeah. What were your thoughts on it Um, I'm not a fan of VAR in the first place. Oh, why? Um, I first seen it in the Confederations Cup last year. Yeah. Um, and straight away, a couple of big decisions got wrong. Right. Um, between goals there, and I think. Did they knock out a few? Did they knock out a few right in that? Is that not the? What was the? What was the ones that were wrong? There was a goal. For, I can't even remember now. The one escaped a red card that was definitely a red card, and one was I can't remember. It was a goal that was disallowed, but it was it was definitely a goal. It was far offside. Okay. Um, and that automatically for me defeats the purpose of the whole thing. Does because the referee may get it wrong instead of waiting a couple of minutes for someone else to get around. Yeah, I think that's the big part, isn't it? That the the gap between making the decisions and then if they get it wrong yeah. and making the decision, as you said, what's the point? Um, you didn't see it near yesterday, did you? No. But you've seen the picture of the wobbly lion. I've seen the So this is where it comes yeah. in. When you look at, they're doing the VAR and you say, right, this is going to be done professionally and then it looks like some kids after doing a wobbly lion across, you know, it, it's... It, I suppose just didn't use his ruler. What does it say then? What does it say about the whole professionalism of it all? Yeah, I think this is the problem, isn't it? That if you're going to go and use this equipment, if you're going to stop the game at crucial moments, you have to get the decision right then. Yeah. And that's what it all boils down to. So as Owen said, you have another one, the referee making a decision wrong and then it goes upstairs and then the other guy gets it wrong. It's, it's bloody incredible. And I wouldn't mind, Man United had celebrated the goal. Everyone went back to the halfway line mm-hmm. and then it was only then at the halfway line when they were standing there for 30 seconds or so that he did the old TV square or rectangle sign and then disallowed it and they all had to go back up the far end then mm-hmm. again for the, for the goal kick but I think um, BT showed their lines did you see that? Um, yeah. yeah their straight lines and he was onside yeah. he was onside wow. well that's the thing this is obviously this is obviously um, technology that costs a lot of money and not only were the lines wobbly they weren't even at the right angles they weren't at the right angles no 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 because so there were you, you, the, the line would start off in line with the 18 yard box on one side and would be about two or three yards off on the far side as it wobbles its way across the screen right. so I don't know, it's a, bit of a, it's a bit of a joke, isn't it? So if they can't do it right, then you're probably better off not having it at all. I mean, one of the beauties of having a football match on and having a, a weekend of football or any r- rugby or anything like that is, I suppose, the, the conversation that you have about these... I suppose what is it? What contentious decisions contentious and that is fun yeah and that takes away from the fun of having you know what I mean was no, this it is, goal, was it a foul was it whatever this is yeah. what you're getting now but this is supposed to you know eradicate all doubt but it happened in the rugby did you see the rugby last week yep and the TMO and they're giving out mad about TMO in, in rugby because they reckon Wales should have had a try last week did you see the rugby I did yeah and what did you think uh, I thought it was a try but I mean again I would say rugby 9 out of 10 times get that right you know yeah. what I mean? They get it right more and more, and they've great angles. I think the problem with this one seems to be that the best angle on the pitch is the linesman's angle because he's pitch side, he's low down. Yeah, you know what I mean. Whereas this looked like a higher angle, and that's why it just doesn't look quite right. So if they don't have the right amount of cameras, if they don't have the technology, you know, surely we have the technology from now. A camera on the linesman's shoulder or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. That angle, the perfect angle to see whether or not he's offside. 
the, the with the rugby because I was looking at the, have you watched the, I don't know if you've seen it there's a programme is it Clubhouse I think it's called um, what's your man's name who does gift grub in the morning Mario Rosenstock Mario Rosenstock's on it and I think it's Dunico Callahan is that his name I can't remember his yep. name and they're doing this but they were talking about the TMO and a lot of the rugby people on the show were getting upset about TMO they actually I don't think they're kind of along the same lines as the football thing that if they're going to use it they have to get 100% right and he said that was the most blatant one now funny enough I actually thought my thing on grounding the ball in rugby maybe I'm very vague with it but it looked like me he slapped the ball off the ground and it bounced up I thought you had to ground it and put your hand down and yeah. as a touch, kind of touch control. control it. I don't think it is, it just means grounded, yeah. So anyway, but they all seem to be disappointed with the way that's going in rugby over the last couple of months, I think it is. And now with football doing the exact same thing, it, it does throw doubt into it. So maybe it's better off the referee because the two minutes was, yeah, that's it. Definitely we're getting the right decision now and they were holding off. You could see them looking at over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, there was only in the replay yesterday, within 30 seconds, we seen the replay and without any wobbly lines or straight lines. And look, oh, yeah, he's onside, definitely onside. And we made that decision after 30 seconds. There was a few of us watching it and then it was changed. So I, I don't I don't know. Who was this person? Who's the mystery person? Yeah, see, that's it. It the, adds to it. I heard that there's a fella, it's not a fella in the stadium, it's a fella back in London or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he's not even there. So that, that again adds to it. But I mean, he's relying on camera angles, but he's seeing the same camera angles that you are seeing. Yeah. Albeit without the lines or what, you know, with different lines or a grid, who knows what he's seeing. But he's yeah. seeing the same angles that you're seeing. Like, there's nothing else to say. But yeah, it's very disappointing when they get the wrong call. Yeah. Then he had like Graham Paul as well. Really hit it, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, he was trying to say that it took him eight and a half minutes with different camera angles and all to, to actually decide whether Matt was offside or not. Yeah, but that's Graham Pope. I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, that's a, that's a man who yeah. get, isn't he, didn't he give two, three yellow cards in, in the semi-final yeah. World Cup? So, um, but yeah, I just don't. It comes down to the real question of does it make the game better? And at the moment, no. Well, maybe it just shows as well that the split decisions, the real, real tight decisions, you just can't get right. As yeah. in, it's open to interpretation whether or not you think yeah. at that point it does look but right that's or not. Part of the game, Which, again, is part of the game. But maybe and if there's any element of doubt, they have to go with the referee's original decision. Mm. You know, And again, it's a hard one to call because they want to make the right call. But I think what it does, probably VAR does, if, they, if there's a percentage and you're getting 50% of these decisions right you're probably pushing it up to 70 percent now yeah and, and i don't think you probably ever get to 100 percent because you, you you will look at a penalty decision where we say oh yeah he got clipped and someone else will go oh he went down very easy it's not really a penalty yeah. and there you go it's all of a sudden right. there's two or two or three people going yeah. one way and one going another way so i don't i i, I think I, I can see it i can see it disappearing i, I was yeah. i was saying give it time but i don't know it seems to cause more problems now that it's here um, I don't think it'll go. You don't know if it'll go because it, uh, I can see it going the same way as the extra assistance behind the goal. Yeah. 
now that they've put it in, they're just really going to stick with it, even though it makes very little difference. Yeah. Like they have promised to speed it up. They've promised to get it right, to get it better. So, I mean, maybe, you know, you could be having a different conversation or it might just, this could be the testing period from now to the end of the season and then hopefully they get it right. Is it coming in at the World Cup? It is, yeah. It's mm. There massive, you go. That's so that's going to be, be huge if they get something wrong. Now, when you say, remember Frank Lampard in 2010 when he, he scored against uh, Germany, Germany yeah. and hit, the ball hit the underneath the crossbar went in and, you know, that the sort of decision but then that's goal line technology they have yeah, that yeah, in yeah. and it's brilliant I and mean it's flawless that's perfect yeah that's flawless apart from they had Gaelic football on the other week and they were all giving out about a ball that went over the bar uh, yeah. that was the eye in the sky yeah they yeah. seemed to miss it yeah Hawkeye yeah uh, was that for Dublin I didn't see which one yeah yeah I yeah. yeah. And they, uh, decision. I think it was one of the it was the Brogans or O'Connell or something they, they put it up and, and rubbished I was sitting right behind it and yeah, yeah. it went over and seemingly it was given wide so by Hawkeye so technology is all good and fine but I don't think it makes everything perfect no so. definitely not FA Cup what do you think of the FA Cup is the FA Cup dead as a Liverpool supporter yes that's because you're out is it <laughs> <laughs> was the FA Cup on this weekend yeah, I don't know yeah. so like it's I, I was looking at the draw Again, in, in this round, the, all the big teams are separated from each other. They got all yeah. the, the, the smaller clubs, um, which is good because you want to see the smaller teams, you know, uh, playing the big teams. That's part of the, the the charm of the FA Cup. But again, in the next round, it's the same thing. In the quarterfinals, it's all the big teams are separated again. I think you know, it have Brighton and City have one of the other sort of championship clubs. I think. I think. But is. Like when, are we looking back in rose tinted glasses when we look back at the FA Cup when we were younger or has it sort of faded away again? It's definitely faded away and I think the biggest problem is as you said there the big teams used to always meet and well they could meet at any stage but you know you were guaranteed the last eight would be your top Premier League clubs and that's what you wanted to see you wanted to see the big games like conceivably someone could make it to a semi-final final this year without really playing anybody Yeah, you know and that's I think the biggest pity you know you want to win that cup knowing that you beat your Man City you beat your Chelsea you know what I mean you beat some of the big teams to get there but isn't it, yeah, didn't win the trophy just win the trophy yeah well that's the other side of it I mean Liverpool didn't go out with weakened team did they? no no so it's not as if they weren't trying to win no he, he put out a strong team from the, the, the previous week and became undone again it was just a little bad patch at that time yeah and they paid the price and it, but it's a sickener that you can't you know like Champions League obviously is your priority but you know there's nothing like a cup final day I don't care who it's against you know what I mean yeah. it's nothing like a cup final day when you get there but even when even you're playing football you can win the league and it's great and you're delighted with it but when you win something on the day hmm. the buzz is, is tenfold isn't yeah. it because you're, you're getting that excitement from, from the, the, the moment Uh I suppose I mean it gives you a chance to get into Europe too mm-hmm. um, I mean I, I don't think I, I, let's put it this way if a Tottenham Hotspur won the FA Cup they'd be, be delighted, delighted yeah. I well, think I think if Liverpool won an FA Cup they'd be delighted. be delighted I actually think I mean Man United delighted Arsenal have won it three or five years or something well, like saved that Arsenal, you know, saved Arsenal saved Arsenal Bangers, Bangers, yeah, yeah. Made a big so yeah. I mean I think it has its relevance mm. I think the problem is when you look at the Caribou Cup I don't know why they still have the Caribou Cup. It's, it's, it's great for the smaller clubs again because they get a bit of a, a, a money injection, you know, financial sort yeah. of side of things. But what do you think, Al? Um I think it's the maybe the financial gap that's killing the magic of it. Because yeah. I, I was talking about the magic of the FA Cup was, was the shocks. Yeah. Um, and the shocks are becoming less and less. Yeah, yeah. 
which means you're kind of just waiting on the bigger teams to knock out the smaller teams until they meet each other yeah. because it's more of a foregone conclusion yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like the early rounds aren't maybe as exciting as they used to be because the top teams are just head above the rest mm. um, like obviously I don't I don't I work weekends um, and I had a weekend off there a while ago and I was grand let's do a football on the heli and it was FA Cup weekend and I was like <sighs> and because like that early round you just you don't think you're gonna get a really good shock yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. well no you had who was it newport Newport, and sports that was a good game the problem was it didn't turn out to be a shock no but that probably favored newport because they were getting the extra cash in then when they went to wembley so you know swings and roundabouts to say but yeah i suppose it's it's a if you look at the, the Johnson's Paint Trophy was on there a couple of weeks ago and I think it was Lincoln I'm nearly sure it was Lincoln and they were playing the semi-final against Chelsea's under-21s and I watched the game and they were 1-0 up with 10 minutes to go and then Chelsea's tw- under-21s won and I was looking at them they had never been to Wembley so this would have been the biggest deal ever for Lincoln yeah, yeah. but wouldn't have changed the under-21s at Chelsea's you know no. wouldn't have ch- helped Chelsea Football Club yeah. wouldn't have changed you know the the focus are happening for the under twenty one team at Chelsea. So, in fairness, Lincoln got through on penalties and it was brilliant. But shows you even bringing those big clubs into the smaller competitions. Yeah, I don't know if it's you're kind of denying another team a chance to to play in Wembley. So um, again, that just benefits the bigger clubs because the new teams get a bit more experience the first team football so nothing goes in the way of the of the smaller teams. clubs. Yeah. It's elitism, and again with money comes elitism and there's not a whole lot you can do about that you know yeah. survival of the fittest the rich get richer you know so right we will leave it at that and we will have an ad break Off and Liffey Sound 96.4 FM. I have Neil Dobbs and Alan Shanahan in with you today. Neil. Right, uh, GAA. Give a little flavour to GAA. So they're beginning to, I guess, get their. Uh, the league campaigns are well underway now. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's just a kind of dress rehearsal for the championship in the summer. As it is every year. As it is every year. It's pretty meaningless. But even though it's meaningless, a couple of things making the headlines this week was Kildare versus Tyrone. Uh, it was 116 to Tyrone, 18 points to Kildare, beaten by a point. And it made the headlines because Tomas O'Shea came out in the Sunday game and basically said, if that's Kildare, Dublin's nearest challenger, my God, what a state Leinster is in. So it kind of made the headlines for the wrong reasons insofar as, you know, slagging off Leinster outside, other than Dublin basically saying, look, Kildare are just terrible. Yeah, um, But then again, there, there, there is no one... You can go through Ulster, Connacht and Munster and there's not really a, a... Like, I mean, obviously you have Mayo and you have probably, possibly Kerry. Who who else is there? I mean, even yeah. The North have been disappointing for the a North while. North disappointing, so. but it's competitive as in their, their league. Well, the championship will be competitive up North and it always is because they're always neck and neck. And yeah, but they're nowhere team. near the no. Dublin stage. No, I mean, Donegal are reinventing themselves. They're going into their own little cycle now, which will be interesting in the next two to three years. Um, but there's no one... Well, look, someone has to challenge them because yeah. it, it's getting a little bit... 
yeah. one side to say the least the other one there was uh, and obviously Mayo are involved so Galway Mayo so that's there as nearest to a local derby as you'll get yeah. uh, Galway beat them 113 to 11 and that made he- headlines because Mayo were beaten and they were absolutely pulped on the field right uh, proper proper uh, match uh, there was sendings off there was madness going on in the game there was some crazy amount of yellow cards uh, real proper proper local derby that's what you want to be yeah, seeing yeah. but it also opens the question then of Mayo um, but they always seem to do this they all seem start. to come around again don't yeah. they they're like the Italy of the Gaelic football more. They, they just start off slow and then all of a sudden they're in a final yeah well with Mayo and you know the people are questioning because of the age profile of the Mayo group they're not bringing in anyone new right. and therefore can they make that jump to the next level now in fairness to Mayo they possibly could have beaten Dublin in the last two finals had they just had that extra edge but of course on the day they never seemed to have it that's it Uh, Owen Gaelic football (laughs) what's your thoughts on Gaelic football I thought this would be a good question Um, I don't have any that's that (laughs) (laughs) Um, although I did see that the Dublin manager now is having another standoff with RTE Hi. This, this is it. Now, you brought this up now, and I wasn't quite ready for this because they had this thing. I, 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 there's an article that I was reading the other day, uh, and not the article that I was reading two seconds ago, <laughs> but this is an article about why are the managers of our national. So, okay, Dublin aren't our national. They're, they're the, the Dublin manager, but uh, the rugby, the football, and the Dublin manager, why are they all so sensitive if reporters aren't giving them praise? Egos. Do you think? There has to be something around it. Did you ever watch a Martin O'Neill interview and it actually, you feel awkward watching the interview? Yeah. It's almost like, how dare you question me? I'm coming here, I'm doing my job and you're questioning me, which is their job to question them. Uh, I don't understand that. It's happened though with the the rugby uh, and it's happened with... uh, Again, the, the Dublin manager who is who has a rift with uh, Paul Kimmage, who has a rift with everyone, but he he has a he, there, there's a rift there because when they won the All Ireland, when he went into his after after match, I suppose hmm. interview, he wasn't really overjoyed that they had won the All Ireland. He was kind of like, yeah, well, you know, yeah, tough and Mayo, and there was no celebration there. So, is there a thing that? They just don't like to think about failure. And if someone points out that there's a failure in some way, that they get upset. I think in the case of Jim Gavin, right, if, if you've ever listened to any interview with him, it's boring mixed with boring. He, just the way he is, he yeah. takes the edge off everything. everything. Now, Dublin managers in the previous, you know, of the yesteryear that never won anything, they were the opposite. When they won a Leinster, they were jumping for joy. Yeah. They were making a big deal. And this kind of hype train got going and then they ended up with nothing at the end of the year, which yeah, is yeah, yeah, yeah. Jim Gavin has come in and he's a complete, he's the mellowest man at the table and he always will be. But mm. it is boring in the long run. He's not entitled to, or sorry, he's entitled to do it whatever way he wants. He's yeah. not under any obligation to be jumping around the field and going mad. Now, maybe behind closed doors, the guy lets himself go. But uh, he's a consummate professional in front of the cameras. And I think the pressure he's under in particular is that, well, amateur game, but the pressure he's under to deliver at that level is incredible. And for him to contain it and hold it like that, 
I, I'd actually commend him more for it but at the same time look you can't knock him but you would like to see a little bit more joy out mm. you know um, yeah I believe this time I think before it was over comments made I believe this time he's not talking to them because RT won't give them video footage of their league games oh so they can work off but I'm sure I'm sure they can get that themselves though I'm sure that they they're, are they playing in Parnell Park or are they playing in, in Croke Park I'm not too sure well they're on the road now but I'm sure, moment as well but yeah but I'm sure I'm sure they can get them downloaded no problem or they can get uh, you know someone into the record it themselves or, but obviously not so uh, but you know I'm sure over the last few years they've had that situation so they must they must be able to solve it themselves somehow but that's it one but so Martin O'Neill different story Joe Smith different story you know I don't know look they're, they're getting a lot of money they're under obligation to appear in the post-match press conferences but they're not under obligation to show to feel the same way that you feel no they're I, in, I, under obligation to get results they they are. and at the end of the day I'd say a lot of them find the post-match a chore yeah. <clears throat> trying to analyse a game a minute after you walk off the pitch you know and give you know interview or some sort of non-analysis or, you know they're just trying to bland it out if you yeah. watch the Premier League like you look at Jurgen Klopp comes out sometimes they catch him after a match and he's very animated and he's, you can still see the, the, the adrenaline running through yeah, yeah. and he ends up I'll say making mistakes like he might have a go at something or but that's his know, character though isn't it, it if you is. look at Rafael Benitez he folds his glasses up and puts them in his top pocket you know yeah, yeah. he's a different character altogether and he he thinks about everything so when he goes into the after he, he has it all processed in his head when yes. he has the post-match interview very much so but that's what I'm saying though. but there you know it is I think they've probably find it a chore I, I like watching the post-match uh, conferences and sometimes you find the managers like oh here we are again right come on hit me with questions yeah. they're, they're a little bit we're drained we're after playing our game I gave you the pre-match we gave you everything yeah. entertainment on the pitch I say they just want to be going home at that stage well, Martin O'Neill sometimes he comes out on the defence nearly straight away he's nearly waiting to be offended by something but is that is that because of the constant consistent questions that he has been asked over maybe a year or two period uh, and he knows what's coming yeah maybe um, but I mean, all the questions. I've never seen Tony O'Donoghue ask him a question that... Wasn't relevant, probably. Everybody's sitting at home, I yeah. think, as well. Yeah. Well, he's actually asking the questions that the fans want yeah. to know the answers they're, they're to. Questions, and he, he has been very immature about not a- answering those questions. But again, Joe Smith, I think, is, is, is similar. But he's ice cold. Like he'll, he, he, with selections and stuff like that, he's very ice cold. He just... This is what's going to get to win, and that's the way it is. And he's not going to really... He's not going to entertain you. That's, mm. He's not there to entertain you. That's his thought of it. He's there to tell you exactly what's going to happen. And he's going to tell you what he thought yeah. did happen. And that's it. He's gone. So, I don't know. Are we expecting more, too much from with, them? or With Martin O'Neill, I find it. I, I would actually wonder whether he feels the questions are coming. The other way the question kind of comes from upstairs. So, you yeah, yeah. don't feel you're Brady, you know. Yeah. So they're, they're pundits and they're there to sensationalise at times. Like the thing with Dunphy is really, really good at getting his point out there, be it he doesn't like somebody, be it he wants someone in the team, Wes Houlihan, etc, etc. So that question gets posed to Martin O'Neill all the time. And I think that's a little bit of resentment that 
who does this guy think he is questioning me yeah. and that's the attitude I find from O'Neill completely on the defensive right go on ask your question yeah. it's like he's ready for that fight so maybe he resents it a little bit well like let's say he's well. delighted Wes Houlihan has retired now <laughs> yeah. and he doesn't have that problem anymore yeah. ok Neil we got something else uh, golf is uh, it? golf yeah just an interesting one popped up this week with the golf um, there's a new statistic out that 68 players are driving over 300 yards which is a huge increase yeah. like it's nearly 50% increase over the last few years um, and it's actually finally getting the PGA and the like, the sporting bodies, to ask the question, is this healthy for the game? So that's the question. Well, see, the, I think it's the qu- equipment, doesn't it? So yeah. when you go out and you see a golf club with a head bigger than your own head, and you can't miss a golf ball with, mm-hmm. these, with these clubs, then, you know, it's, it, there's only so far. I mean, the, the gol- golf courses are out there. They're actually having to lengthen golf courses yeah. just to make them, you know, for, well, for, the, for the average fella, they're fine, but for the pros, they're just. There was who was it? Dustin Johnson nearly got a, a hole in one and a par four the other day. Yeah, they they put a dog leg in and they're thinking this will stop them driving so far, and yeah. they drove across the dog leg, and that was it. Answer the it green. was incredible so, drive. Yeah, so it, it, they're kind of starting to make a mockery of it. So again, with technology, do they? I think they actually are looking at it, trying to stop give it a, a limit remember they had it with the putters before they, you had the, the anchored putters there you stuck it into your chest and, yep. and so they got rid of them uh, because it was they reckoned it was helping benefit the, their game too much and your natural skill wasn't being used uh, so but this is kind of similar isn't it if you're, if yeah. you're, if you're, if you're driving it it's yeah. coming down to equipment and it's coming down to the fact that and this is the point that people are making why was this not brought in 10 years ago and the answer was because Tiger Woods was in his pomp and the PGA was worldwide, massive audience. People that would never normally tune into golf were tuning in to watch Tiger Woods. Yeah. He was the new breed, muscular, athletic, slap a ball down a fairway. It was just brilliant to watch. Um, and they just let it run with that. Mm. And now, 10 years or 15 years later, you might say, they're in this mess where there's so much technology to improve the, the average player. And I mean the average player. Um, and now it's become a problem. It's not watchable as it used to be. Yeah. So they want it to be more of a game of skill. And they did a panel, you know, the other night of ex-pros that were all very respected. And they're all saying the same thing. They want it to be more about the skill of the game rather than just pure physical brawn. Yeah. Does that mean maybe they have to design courses differently now? They're going to have to do something, yeah. Probably they're saying either the easiest way to attack it is the golf ball itself to limit the style of golf ball that can be used. So remember okay. back in the day, the Balatas was yeah. the big name. But now Nowadays, there's just so many different. Do you remember we used to play pitch and putt, the commandos? There you go, commandos stopped dead and full on rubber. <laughs> it's, it nearly spin back down the road. You came up. That's. Uh, That's I don't it. think they st- I think they've got rid of them as well in really? in pitch and, in the wow. pitch and putt circles because again, you, you too much control over. Sure, people were. I know up in Lucan, you know the first hole is only a short hole up in Lucan, but when you hit a ball on the first hole it was nearly spinning back to you because it's so, it, there's so much spin on, on those well not me because I couldn't get the bloody spin <laughs> on it but generally the, the, the good players um, so what, oh golf like I mean you don't play golf no you watch golf no that's the end of that one <laughs> <laughs> on the computer <laughs> I think we're narrowing them down to football <laughs> I remember all playing PGA on the Sega Mega Drive surely yeah, yeah that's about as far as <laughs> it goes as near as a golf club, yeah. Uh, yeah no but I do I, has, something has to end because you can't you can't you can't be driving par fours mm. you know I mean it's the odd par four I think there's one in, in uh, St Andrews where you can possibly drive but there's so many different problems in St Andrews that you could get yourself in trouble anyhow of course yeah but uh, over in the States, 
very the, the fairways are just very straightforward like it's yeah, just yeah. pure grass nearly up to a green unless they're surrounded by water See, in the states they all you know the, the americans like high scoring well low scoring games as the case may be but they want birdies they want That's eagles it, yeah. and that was always what drove it whereas they come over to europe and they've got a 30 mile an hour wind going across you in heavy grass yeah you know that's it's a different variation of yeah golf, they all because you know? yeah you, you look at some of the scars and some of the tournaments and uh someone's winning that went you know, minus 28 or something yeah, like that. And you're going, ah, here, geez, someone won the European Tour, it's seven under, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's, uh, we always see that. Next. And else? That's all I have. Okay, we'll briefly, uh, I think we'll take a break and uh, we'll come back after that. With, oh, oh, what we do? We do Scottish football. Our boxing. Oh, uh, boxing. Yeah. Actually, no, I'll tell you, do boxing now. Yeah. Last night. Yeah, George Groves got himself another belt. Um, but Chris, Chris, Chris Eubank Jr. Um, convincingly, I'd say um, it was it was well hyped because Chris Eubank and Chris Eubank Senior are very good at creating their own hype train. Yeah, um, but it was quite evident early on that it was George Groves' fight to lose. Um, he kind of set the pace at the start, kind of kept him at distance with the jab. Um, Used the experience, even when uh, Eubank kind of got in closer to him, kind of held on to him. No, there was. Uh, no, what, what is the? T- it's a tournament, anyhow, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. It's. It, I think they've done. T- I think they've started off with two way classes. Yeah. Um. So that was the semi final last night. Yeah. Um. So the next semi final is next week. Okay. Um, and I'm not sure actually when the final is, but I think it's close enough because they were talking about. I think George Groves dislocated a shoulder in the last. Yeah. In the last round. I see, I, I heard that and. Was there was there a clash of heads? Um, in the third round, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, Eubank could just over his eye. Um, so he Which is not a good place to have it. Because uh, no, it was quite, quite a deep one as well. So there was blood kind of pouring for most of it. Did he use that as an excuse um, afterwards? Yeah, or? he did, yeah. 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 And is it a good, valid excuse? Um, I don't think so. Um, not Especially not the way he was fighting. Was it running into his eye? Like, um, like it was, Yeah, it was all down the side of his face. Um, oh, it's a possibility. But, like the way he was fighting it just wasn't as the, as the fight went on and he was aware that he wasn't going to get a points decision and he had to knock him out he just started swinging did he maybe, maybe mix of frustration he was going for it and he did catch uh, Groves with some, some good shots but again Groves was quite good at making sure that that didn't turn into a combo or a second one so he yeah. just took the one and then kind of neutralised it um, but yeah at times it was just Chris Eubank was just swinging for his life yeah. so I didn't get to see the fight last night but I did read up on it immediately after and exactly what you said uh, the report had it I think it was the Irish Times or Independent or something like that they said the exact same thing clash of heads uh, but Groves just picked them off yeah. and yeah. then as you said he just started swinging for the sake yeah, of swinging that, for the visual the only way you can see is when he used to play um, boxing games on the Playstation button bashing button bashing it was like he was just like <laughs> hoping that one had land at some stage um, and the only time he looked like as it went on they both got tired Groves was getting tired so he was catching them a little bit more and in the 12th round at the very end we're kind of thinking he might do this because Groves had done a shoulder how did he do a shoulder what happened there uh, I don't know I don't know I he came out in the 12th round and I was only on the analysis at the end they kind of said they spotted it the minute because he was only kind of fighting with the one arm um, so he kind of got caught in the corner near the very end but all he had to do was stand there and make sure he didn't 
It's three minutes a long time, mate. Dislocated. <laughs> Isn't it, Chowder? Um, but what I didn't know, and I heard afterwards when you were doing the analysis, was um, Chris Eubank doesn't actually have a full-time trainer. Oh. So he has a guy, um, Ronnie Davis, who, who does train with him, but he's 72 and has kind of openly came out and said that he doesn't, he's not able to do full-time Really? Um, and also, is that because his dad is is trying to do? Well, his his father is kind of more or less a kind of a, a he's guiding them through it and yeah. doing it. But he like Eubank kind of came out coming up to things and he kind of he's basically kind of training himself. Right. Um. So when it comes to the corner, he has nobody really with a game plan, kind of. But surely his dad has some yeah. sort of. Well, no, no. Actually, sorry, I take that back. Because if you say surely, that means you're 100 percent certain that this person has the the mental capacity to do it. But <laughs> the Eubanks haven't very. They've always yeah. been in their own kind of floaty boaty world, haven't they? Yeah. yeah. So. Um, yeah. So like, he could be just having him. He's great. Yeah. And like, obviously, he has boxing knowledge to teach him, but he has nobody to, to give him a proper game plan and. He's just working off his own ego, basically. Whereas right. you have George Groves, who has worked with Adam Booth in the past and now has Shane McGuigan in his corner. And that's kind of the difference. Yeah. Um, and he, the Eubank was absolutely slated by Nassim afterwards. Prince Nassim was doing the, and he just said, no. No, he's not good enough. And the other fellow on the panel was trying to say, oh, well, he might build himself back up. And Nassim was like, no. Here's an ad break. Welcome back to the big kickoff, Liffy Sound 96.4 FM. I wasn't sure if you paused that or not. Okay, we have Alex O'Shea on in about uh, 10, 15 minutes or so. Um, but we're going to talk a bit of Scottish football. We haven't really touched on Scottish football in the whole time. Bar the odd Celtic thing, I think. I don't even think we've touched on that too much. So we're going to talk about we'll talk about Celtic. It clicks in with the Europa League. Yeah. Um, how did they do? Very well. And against Zenit, so Zenit are a fairly big club, really, in Europe. When you look at the, the money that's pumped into them, and Roberto Mancini's the the manager there, um, were they expected to to come away with a, a clean sheet? First of all, that's what I was surprised about. Um, no, there was a bit of kind of there was a lot of worry. They, they Scotland have a winter break now as well. Oh yeah. Um, and since they've come back they haven't been great kind of just all around performance but especially kind of defensively now they haven't hit the, the, the heights of last year in terms of performance where they're not blowing teams away you know? no. but it's you're not going to have one of those seasons every year um, so it was just kind of about the defence and what way it was going to work and especially with the, some of the performances then in, in the Champions League earlier in the year um, but so it was a massive game to see how how they progressed um, and I think Brendan Rodgers got spawned. But what's the difference between how they played in the Champions League? Because I looked at them a couple of times in Champions League and they were very open and being picked off fairly easy. Is it it's just the quality of the team they're playing against or um, have they shored no, it up a bit? It's the way set up. Um, and this is one thing I, I, 
that was a bit frustrating about Brendan Rodgers in Champions League so far is that the way he plays in the league is the way he was playing in Champions League. Okay. Um, whereas even, say, back in the day of maybe the more successful Champions League managers like Neil Lennon, he had a way of playing in Europe and yeah. a way of playing in the league. Yeah. Um, so the way he set up on... Instead of doing the 4 he went kind of 3-5-2 with the wing-backs. Okay. Um, which means the three in midfield were all kind of, not defensive mind fields, they were solid midfielders. So it was all about pressing and making sure they had the ball. Okay, they okay. They didn't lose the ball. Um, in possession, they were, they were really good. Um, one of the things that was also in the, in the Champions League that wasn't a bit frustrating as well was build-up play. The build-up play against Zeno was fantastic. Um against like the Paris Saint-Germain and Bayern Munich there was a couple of times where if Celtic put two or three passes together and nothing was happening they'd just hoof it up forward yeah. and then it was just coming back at them in waves yeah, and attack yeah, yeah. Um, whereas they were patient patient and really kind of built up to, to create the chances Alright who played up front? Um, Dembele Dembele started Griffiths still injured um, Did you not play two up front? You know, I play Griffiths, uh, Dembele with um, McGregor in behind him Okay alright all right. Um, So there's nearly six in midfield uh, yeah, ish. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it depends because you could go, I suppose you could see S5 at the back sometimes. If, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, it's, like, you look at Scottish football in general, I mean, there isn't much competition as, as per se challenging for that league title. You know, there could be four or five points difference come Christmas. It always seems to turn out about 10, 11, 12 points yeah. minimums yeah. at times. So, how did they improve Scottish football? How, like, I mean, you have Rangers who are financially struggling to, to stay where they are. You have Hearts, Aberdeen, who give you the odd season. There's Celtic going, it's, it's a bit like, uh, I suppose, Barcelona and Madrid. They, they just go and buy the best players from the rest of the league. So is it a case that Celtic should be winning the league every year and it's only really about Europe that you can get excited about? Um, well, about improving, I think they have a massive opportunity to improve it now because Stuart Regan, the the head of the Scottish Football Association, he's after resigning after kind of failing to land Michael O'Neill. Right. He's has he has a history of kind of blunders and it's it's a bit of a kind of similar, not as bad as the Irish FA. Yeah. Uh, but it's kind of jobs for the boys and they're all quite older people. Like, there's no kind of new thinking or yeah and coming into it but they have a huge they have a huge opportunity now um but there needs to be change in terms of the way the game is set up um because as you know one of the things is um everyone plays each other four times yeah so which leaves a lot of people i suppose confused because yeah. they don't know who, who they're playing at one time was it was, were they playing each other three times at one time? Uh, well, they played each other three times and then the league splits. Oh, yeah. Which obviously isn't. It's it's from the madcap Scottish football. Is that a ideas. desperation thing to try and make it as more attractive <laughs> they've, they've as come possible? Up, yeah, they've come up with uh, a lot of ideas. There was uh, an idea a couple of years ago before they brought in the playoffs that they were going to have like they had the Premiership and the Championship and then that was going to split into two or three leagues afterwards um, and they're just coming up with all these things instead of just doing like even like Neil was talking about the Challenge Cup there 
um, which is the, the Scottish, Scottish equivalent of the Johnson Payne Trophy. Yeah. Um, to try and freshen things up, Dave. The Iron Brew. The Iron Brew. Sorry, Iron Brew. Scottish. Get the sponsors in. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dave had to bring teams in from Ireland, Wales, and. To Northern make them more attractive, which I think is a good idea. Yeah. And at, at the end, it's a pity that the, the, I think it was Bray and Sligo didn't push on a little bit further than where they went. But I think it was a good idea. It's actually something that I think they should try and. I don't know, maybe have some sort of little, I don't know, special Champions League Cup or something for them. I don't know what way it works, but the, the, to get the Irish, the Welsh, the Northern Irish and Scottish teams who time. Um, and I think I, th- I thought that was a good idea. But, but uh, I don't think too many people watched no. it. And what everyone's screaming out for is a bigger league. Yeah. There's only 12 teams in it. Um, what everyone wants is a 16 team league. Everyone right. plays each other because it'd be quite similar to the. the, the now, when you say everyone, who's everyone? Uh, the fans. Right. The, 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 some of the clubs don't want it because obviously that dilutes the amount of money. Right. Um, but it, it'd be, if they want it kind of similar to the, the Portuguese setup where it's it's less games. Yeah. Because you're only playing 30 games a season, but you're only playing each other twice. So it makes. Yeah. It makes it because there's a lot of derbies kind of with the two Edinburgh teams. Uh, if you look at Porto, just so you're bringing up Portugal, sorry, you look at Portugal there um, and you look at Porto getting hammered 5 0 by Liverpool yeah. in Europe. It's, I suppose they're the equivalent, aren't they, of Celtic in, in Portugal because they don't have that much competition there already. You have Benfica and Sporting Lisbon who will have their time, but it's mostly been Porto over the last 10, 15 years. So. And it shows that they might struggle in Europe because of that. Now they always get their best players taken away, as do Celtic. Okay. So it's a, it's a similar situation, except they have some sun. Summer football, I think, is something that benefits Scottish football as well. I think so. Um, yeah. I think you get more people out watching it. Yeah. Um, I mean, who wants to be in Falkirk on January? <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, like, they done a report came out in um, January about uh, European football and the attendances. And if you go by the, the population of a country, um, Scotland has the highest attendances. Oh, so the attendances are quite good for the. Yeah, oh, for, right. for the amount of people that are in the okay. country, they have the highest attendances in Europe. Right. Um, so it's just about building on that, and that's what the, it's. It's just taking it to the next level. Um, so they have to build something that's attractive before more money will come in. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Like they have the the television rights are up now soon enough, so they have a big, big negotiation to do before because the last one would have been without Rangers. Um, so they were kind of yeah they were cut down it shows the importance though doesn't it of a good European run for Celtic oh, every huge. year it's they huge without it they're in big big trouble yeah. they're just it keeps them in the spotlight you see because yeah. if, if Celtic aren't in Europe uh, people who don't follow Celtic are you know aren't quite, quite as intense as a normal Celtic supporter take their eye off Celtic so they're not in the, the limelight and they're not interesting then so Europe is huge for them um, and that's where I think summer football would benefit because the, the the lower teams especially are just falling away in the qualifiers because everyone they're coming up against is like Scandinavian and yeah. all the leagues that are, are right in the middle of the yeah. league um, Alex McLeish as you said, is this cronyism at the, um, the highest? Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's definitely not the the type of appointment that they wanted. I, th- it's, I think it's a very panic appointment now because they don't have a chief executive to go out and get someone. Right. Um, well, listen, I had, I'm had. just going to uh, throw a clip on here. It's Pat Nevin uh, on Annex McLeish's uh, as new manager. His time uh, originally with Scotland, it wasn't long. It was fairly brief, but it was good. 
and I think he was doing very well. A lot of Scotland fans haven't quite forgiven him yet for walking out on the job as they saw it. And we were feeling good about ourselves. So a lot of people were disappointed, but he's a good manager. And I think there were three, four, five very good candidates and he's certainly one of them. The question then surely is why not go for one of those? Why go back to what you've, you've been with before? Well, trying really hard not to be cynical. <laughs> um, you know, there are people like Stevie Clark up there, but you need to buy him out of his contract where he is just now. Um, and everyone's got some little bit of baggage with them, generally. Um, you know, and Alex, free and available. That's another big one as well. And he was trusted to do the job last time and he didn't let anyone down other than that big caveat <laughs> if he walked out in the job eventually. I know Alec well. He was a teammate of mine uh, in his days as a Scotland player and he immediately gets respect from the players and he's done it at the very, very top level. There's a lot of positives. Others will say, well, wait a minute, he had some failures as well. Mm. Point to me, the manager that hasn't. <laughs> so, point to me, the manager that hasn't. That's, yeah, that's true, but... Is it the future? Like, I mean, they're bringing back a former manager who yeah, left them, abandoned them. I mean, that's them. what everyone's going to look at because when he did manage, he he was only in charge of Scotland for 10 games last time and won seven of those games and only finished two points, I think, behind France and Italy in the group that yeah. day when they were trying to Euro 2008, I think. Um, but since then, like, he left for Birmingham um, and I think it's it's two years since he's managed and I think it's 2013 since last time he kind of managed in yeah. Britain. Um, but it, it's yeah it's not the it's definitely not the, the appointment they wanted I mean they went after Michael O'Neill with a big financial package and I thought they assumed he was going to run and I actually think it was a blessing in disguise they didn't get Michael O'Neill because he's not they're not going to get the most attractive football now Michael's good at his job there's no doubt about that but I don't know if it's exactly what Scotland wanted it's a bit like us when we had Trapattoni and then we thought we were getting something different but Martin O'Neill and we really didn't I think that's exactly what would have happened there um, um, maybe they would have been a little bit more solid but I think it's happening with them at the moment it's the same thing that was happening in, in the SPL for years whereas if if a manager lost his job, you knew exactly who was going to get the job. Yeah. It was one of three or four managers that were just going on a little yeah. tour of Scotland in every job. Whereas that's kind of progressing now, um, which you have the likes of Steve Clark and Owen Coyle and all coming in, which yeah. is making the league a bit more attractive because yeah. they're attracting kind of better standard better players. players yeah. um, but I think, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of people talking up Scott Gamble for the job. He's in charge of the... Is it under 21s? Yeah. Under, um, and he... He got Scotland to the semi-finals at the Toulon tournament last year. Yeah, all right, okay. Um, they bet Brazil along the way, and they only lost to to England. Then the semi-finals went on to win it, all right, um, and ended up finishing third. Um, so there was a few people calling for that, seeing it a bit more progressive. Apparently, because apparently the way he plays and all is, is very good. But yeah, <laughs> Alex McLeish is a good record, but that was. So is he, is he, is, do you think he's a good appointment just to plug the gap for the moment? It's a safe appointment because they don't have anyone to make the decision. No, that's him. <laughs> All right, right. Well, what we're going to do is after the, we're going to play a song. After the song, we are going to talk to Alex O'Shea.
And welcome back to the big kickoff on Liffey Sound 96.4 FM. Joining us on the line is Cork City firefighter Alex O'Shea. Alex will undertake the biggest challenge of his life to run 32 marathons in all 32 counties of Ireland in 16 days. Alex, welcome to the big kickoff. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Uh, Alex, to run a marathon as a firefighter in a pair of boots, fireproof overalls, and a helmet is a challenge, right? To run the fastest mallon to mizzen on foot is also a hell of a challenge and now it's 32 marathons 32 counties in 16 days it all begs the psychological questions of what exactly is it you're running away from Alex (laughs) (laughs) Um, if my wife heard you she'd see herself and the four kids Um, but no I suppose it's just setting challenge on challenge and kind of pushing boundaries and you know, exploring different things, I suppose. Oh, yeah, I, well, that, that's and you have to challenge yourself as much as you possibly can. So, where did the the buzz from running come from? When did you first get bitten by the the, the running bug? Um, I think, like, I ran as a child, but it was a case of there was four kids in the family. My sister was two years older. She was the runner, and I was brought along. Kind of, you know, take, my dad would take two of us out of the house, and my mom be left with two. So I'd be like, Asher, look, take him as well. <laughs> so my sister was the one winning the medals, and I was the one hoping I wouldn't be last. <laughs> and that was my sole focus, you know, beat one fella at least in the race. And just, you know, at least I could come home and say I wasn't last. <laughs> and it was only as an adult, really, that um, I started running, road running, and got a bit of interest and kind of progressed. And people started seeing that there was a bit of potential and joined a club, and it just went from event to event but I was 40 years of age before I ran my first marathon and that was in the full fire gear so your first one was in the fire gear yeah my first one was Cork City Marathon back in 2014 and did you not think about why did you think about running with the fire gear on because I mean you're you're going you have the full the full kit on it wasn't running it was boots as well wasn't it yeah um I suppose part of me was setting a huge challenge and a fellow Cork fireman had the challenge, had the record previously, so I was aware of it. And I suppose another part of me was literally hiding behind the uniform, because if I didn't do well, sure people would say, "Asher, look, look what he was trying." <laughs> so there was like a, you know, as hard as it was, there was also for me a big get out of jail card if I didn't do well. I think um, secretly, you know. Um, three hours forty one minutes is a world record dressed as a firefighter. <laughs> Did you know that beforehand that there was a world record for that? Yeah, as I said, there was um, there was a fellow Cork firefighter held the record for three or four years, and um, I spoke to him about it. And just before I attempted it, I would have ran in June. In April of that year, the London Marathon, an English firefighter broke the record. Right. So he took a few minutes off my colleague's record, and then I took nearly an hour off his record. Holy! So how do how do you? How, I suppose what, what are the? I mean, there's a world record involved. There's obviously a lot of criteria and stuff. So what is the criteria for running as a firefighter? Um, you have to run in your boots, your pants, your jacket, your helmet. It all has to be certified. You have to give, you literally get onto Guinness World Records and you get every piece of clothing approved. Um, for me, I wasn't allowed to open the jacket fully at any time. Oh, I could open the zip down halfway and, you, you know, kind of grab it and shake it out, try to get the air to exchange. Yeah. But I couldn't have it fully opened at any time. 
Um, I couldn't remove the helmet when I was running at any time. If I wanted to stop, I could stop, step out to the side, take anything off, put anything back on and continue. Change socks, anything like that, treat blisters. But you had to physically stop and step out. I had to have witnesses, I had to have timing, um, I had video evidence. Um, you know, it was like producing a thesis, um, the amount of evidence that we had to fall <laughs> at the end of it. So, you obviously had enough of the firefighter running and he just said, right, we'll do 32 Martins, 32 counties in 16 days. Where did that idea spring from? Um, Jerry Duffy did 32 Martins in 32 days with um, Ken Whitelaw back in 2010. And he did it as a very successful charity event. Like they had um, Michael O'Leary was behind them at Ryanair publicising yeah. it, and it just you know it went. It was a phenomenal success, and I suppose that happened before I ran my first marathon. And I always was a bit inspired by it, and just I kind of said to myself, you know, you could go over and there's a race in Italy where you do 20 marathons in 10 days in the same place, and I was like. But, you know, that's that's kind of two weeks away from the family and it's kind of, you know, there, there's so much running here that I could do without broadening my shores or broadening my view of going offshore. So I was kind of thinking, you know, there's lots of country, or counties I haven't even ran in. And I was kind of thinking, you know, the 32 marathons would be nice, but I'd never get 32 days off work. <laughs> and then somebody said, sure, why don't you try two a day? And is two a day... The seed was there. Have you done two a day before? No. Oh, well, right. Y- yes and no. Um, I've ran I've ran back-to-back marathons where I've raced a marathon on a Saturday and raced on a Sunday and kind of held my own. And I've done... I've competed for... I've competed in um, the National 24-Hour Championships, okay. um, you know, which was held in Belfast, where I've ran... 151.75 miles in 24 hours continuous uh, you need a long time to recover after that <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, so what's so, the pl- what's the plan and like and um, um, where do you start um well i'm delighted to announce as well that I, i've got a guard um on board with me now as well ollie o'sullivan from kerry from tralee and um, he's he's on board he's going to run 50 kilometers of the 84 a day and crew for me so like when we have quiet patches, he'll, he'll be with me more. And if I'm busy in the morning, he might step out for a while and he'll um, drive a support vehicle from county to county. So um, it's all about putting the logistics in place. Like we're talking to a car, um, a big car company at the moment, to see will they give us a, a support vehicle. It's for the Irish Guide Dogs for the Blind. We have a Facebook page, Challenge Alex, set up. We have a web page nearly built. So it's, it's all the logistics, um, looking for routes. We're, we're trying to put safe routes in place. A lot of them will be on greenways or in parks where we do loops. So, right. you know, if you come down, you can join for a loop. You can watch us, you know. Great. So it's not all it's not all based on the road. There is going to be uh, certain courses, I suppose, set up for you. Yeah, because, like, if I, if I go from an A to B point on the road and people come down, you know, whether you've invited them or whether you've asked them to support you and, you know, their responsibility is your responsibility yeah. at the end of the day. And I don't want someone stepping off a curb in front of a car. Plus, if I if I run a loop inside in the park and say if the loop is a mile long, I'm never any more than a mile away from my water, from my food, from a change of runners, from a first aid kit. And when you're trying to do two marathons a day every day, 
these are real concerns that you have to have. Yeah, is it the with the two marathons a day? Uh, I suppose how's that going to work? Will will you have okay. will you have fin- will you have a finishing time in your head for the first marathon, or is it just getting through it? Um, no, I think the first marathon we do will be the first of September, and the people in Dingle Marathon have invited us. So we're going to run the Dingle Marathon as our Kerry Marathon. Okay. Um, so I'll have a good idea of the time I'll run before I run it, um, but only training will dictate that on the lead up. Yeah. So we'll 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 go down there to run a particular time, then we'll have maybe an hour to cool down, get a rub down, get something to eat, and then into the car and we drive to Limerick. We hop out of the car and we're looking at a venue in Limerick at the moment, possibly a little bit of a greenway into a park, a lapse of a park. Then we finish that and then we drive on to Clare and we go to bed. <laughs> then we get up. So you've done two marathons, two counties. Then you get up. Hopefully our accommodation will be close to the next venue. So small drive. And then you run your next venue, small rest, an hour again. Then you drive on maybe an hour and a half to the next county, run again, and you know it's just going to be is continuous. that is that drive in between dangerous as in for your uh, your body maintenance because one of the questions I have here is how will you help with body maintenance throughout have you put a team together or you know how do you stop yourself from uh, the chances we'll be, we'll be looking we'll be looking to fit get physios on board we'll we'll be putting the word out nationally like there's a network of Irish physios so we'll be putting the, the word out to physiotherapists and we'll be trying to get um, one to volunteer for every county for every marathon so yeah we'll get a rub down after every race Great. every event um, but yeah the, the sitting in a car in that position for an hour and a half makes it more challenging Yeah, it, it would be easier for me to run the two marathons back to back and run you know your 50, 50 odd miles yeah 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 um, continuous than to take a break for an hour and a half or two hours and then go again so i you know i know that there'll be there'll be the second marathon of each day you start on tired legs you may you may walk half a mile to wake your legs up and just you know get them back into the cycle yeah. before you start jogging and running yeah like that may be a very real possibility and plus you know several days into the challenge it may be a case you may pick up a blister and you may end up like walking half a marathon like these are all real concerns and real things that we have to plan for and like not alone when i have to train to run these marathons i'm also going to have to go out and experience walking a marathon yeah something i've never done before but something i have to be aware physically and mentally of how to do it yeah and i suppose injury prevented you finishing the the mallon to mizzenhead run so what did you learn from that what precautions have you put in place um, well, Malintonism was a failure in, in some regards. Um, I, I set out for the Guinness World Record for that as well. Yeah. And I kind of was a bit gung-ho and I probably went a bit faster than I needed to. I was, I was well ahead of pace and I got to about 80 miles with a bit of a niggle in my knee and we pulled up at 100 miles, which was the plan for day one. I was going to run 100 miles, then I was going to throw on a tracksuit, and I was going to walk five miles, just cool down and get the body temperature back down, and then we were going to eat and sleep. Um, but I got to 100 miles with a pain in my knee, and it turned out I had a tear in my knee. Um, we think it was possibly the fact I overdid it contributed, the fact that the roads were so bad that I was running with one leg a lot lower than the other leg. 
because of the camber of these country roads. Yeah. So there was lots of contributing factors that we looked at afterwards, and there was lots of things we would have done differently. Um, but where, as much as it was a failure that I didn't succeed, it was also I also hit milestones. I'd never gone 100 miles in a day before. And, you know, once, once I suppose we dried up the tears, we, we looked at it and we pulled the positives from it. Well, the thing is, you, know, you, you, never, you never lose, you learn. So uh, it's obviously going to benefit you now for uh, this challenge. And, of course, you're running this challenge for charity. Why the Irish Guide Dogs for the Blind? Um, I suppose the Irish Guide Dogs for the Blind, they're a national charity, but their headquarters are in Cork. So I said, growing up, I, I've always been aware of them. You've always seen people out you know, puppy walkers, the trainers, you've seen visually impaired people with their dogs, and now they also do dogs, um, companion dogs for people with autism, children with autism. Um, so I, over the years, I was very aware, and then when I, I left the Navy and I became a fireman, we go into burning buildings, house fires, and you walk in the door, it's full of smoke, you can't see anything, and I might be told by the officer, okay, look, your team is to go upstairs, and check the upstairs, see if anyone's there. Yeah. So as I go upstairs, I have to count, physically count every step on the stairs. I have to see, does the stairs turn left? Does it turn right? Is it straight stairs? How many rooms did I go into? Description of the rooms. And then I come out, I have to give the officer my brief. My brief was to go upstairs and search. And I encountered the stairs with 14 steps. It had a quarter landing turn to the left. Um, I went into what appeared to be three bedrooms. I encountered an ensuite. I encountered a bathroom, and you, you're, basically, you're basically painting a picture without having seen anything for the next team that go in. So they know how much of it you've searched, and they know that they can skip the first rooms and go straight to the fourth one, and then they can work backwards from there and do a second search. Yeah. So it's all it's all about building this mental image, and I suppose to me that that's the closest I've ever come to. Um, experiencing anything that a person with visual impairment is going through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do, uh, how do people donate? And can they donate, I suppose this is a stupid question, can they donate any, as, as much as they want, but how, how do they donate? Um, we're, going to, we're going to work on a load of different levels, really. We're going to look for corporate sponsors, hopefully somebody and everything to kind of contribute to that event. Um, we're going to invite people to come out and take part with us so you can run them, you know, run anything from a step to a marathon with us that day and um, pay a small fee and there'll be a medal at the end of it there'll be sponsorship cards for that available through the Irish Guide Dogs for the Blind um, we have a donate button on my Facebook challenge Alex which is live at the moment um, it's a bit early to put it live but we had to we had to build it and construct it so that we could put it into the web page yeah. and test it so that's the reason it's live so early we have a web page which will be alexoshea.ie but it's not it's not up and running yet. We've the final edit of that. So basically, if people want to like the Facebook page, Challenge Alex, um, all the news will go on there, and all the links and the web page. Then the more complete web page will go up after that. And we, we hope that we'll have a good national um, media coverage and people like yourselves following the story as well. Well, we'll we'll plug it as much as we can all the way to uh, September. And September first, is it? That's right, yeah. So we'll, we'll plug it as much as we can, and we'll hopefully, we, we'll, uh, anything, I suppose, for charity. And you said the, the Irish Guide Dogs for the Blind do great work, so um, people should get out there and, and donate 
is it, whatever they can and whatever they can afford uh, but you know every little bit helps um, exactly the, and you know if, if if somebody you know if money's a bit tight and they can't afford you know come down and you know just say hello to us yeah you know give us a support morally and you know a bit of encouragement will go a long way yeah and i was just about to say that is there ever a talking about psychology at the start is there ever a time that you go ah screw this i don't want to run anymore and you want to just duck out of it is a is a possibility now halfway through the second race only for you have the the irish guide dogs uh uh thought in your head that you probably think god i'd love to stop now um, I think there will be times that I, I, I love to stop and, you know, there'll be times when I'm running that, you know, I'll stop running and I'll jog. And yeah. the time, there'll be times I'm jogging and I'll stop and I'm walking and there'll, there'll be times when I'm walking and I'll say, it would be great to have this finished. But, no, the focus will be there to get to the end. And, you know, I'm from Cork and Cork is the last one. And it's the last one for a reason. Yeah, but the- psychologically, you're running home. Yeah, and you know, I'm sure each county will give me a different experience. But you know, you'll always want to get to your home one first. Yeah, yeah. Um, as in, you'll always want to encounter. You, you know, you're going to have that support at home. So. Um, well, I think yeah. I think one thing the Irish people are good at is getting behind their own. Um, so hopefully uh, they all come out in the numbers to help you. And as you said already, you're there. They can join you and. Uh, hopefully encourage you along that way listen what's your ultimate challenge is there anything that you uh, have always thought of wanting to do but you haven't done yet um to be honest like when i was doing when i was training to run in the fire there people were saying to me oh sure like you know i was i was nearly about to start and people were like what will you do next there is no next there is only now right right now it's you know you're the guy on the football pitch taking the penalty to win the game there is no crowd they yeah. do the ball the goal and you know to, to take on something like this you have to have that focus so it's a full focus okay listen you're a monster fan I am um, sorry about that uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ireland and Munster how, how, how do you how do you see things going especially in the Six Nations and uh, for Munster this season do you know I always find rugby is you know it's just fascinating to watch but I always find there's such inconsistency um, so it's very hard to predict. <laughs> you don't want to predict. <laughs> no, I, I have a house with four kids. Three of them are boys from nine down to five. So I watch I watch rugby with boys jumping around and shouting and roaring and getting stuck in. So I see bits of the game here and there. Well, ho- hopefully with the, with the Irish setup, it all leads to an Ireland-England clash and it's all... Uh, to play for all. Listen, uh, Alex. As, as you mentioned, the rugby. Actually, I, I met Declan Kidney recently, and um, he's head of sports in UCC down in Cork, yeah. University College Cork. And they're getting behind the challenge, and they're going to give me some support through their high performance unit. Brilliant. So they're going to do some testing, like training and stuff. Great, great. And I suppose your will you have your I suppose your uh, your gate and all looked at before you you start. Yeah, yeah, I've all that that worked out. Good. Well, listen, Alex, we're going to support you as much as we can. We will put that up uh, as many times as we can leading up to it. When you're on your run, we will be keeping a track on you. And we might even give you a phone call uh, if we can get you early enough, uh, maybe one of the Sunday mornings or or, uh, pre-record when you're just about to fall asleep or whatever, you know. But uh, we'll try and support you as much as we possibly can because it's a great challenge and it's for a great, great charity as well. 
Thanks very much. Okay, thanks very much, Alex. We'll talk to you soon. And welcome back to the Big Kickoff and Liffey Sound 96.4 FM. Uh, Alex O'Shea was great. If you can, get onto his website, his Facebook page and Twitter page and everything you can. We'll put it up on our Facebook page as much as we can. But get out and support him. If, you, if you're a runner, get out and run with him. Support him because, again, two marathons a day is going to be challenging for him and he needs all the support he can get. And it's for a good cause. Neil, something that you brought up. Last week, was it last week or the week yep. before that? Yeah, and uh, we're going to talk about it now. And it's about Ireland. We've had, I suppose, Robbie Keane. We were blessed to have Robbie Keane as a striker who was prolific. Other than that, then, you have the Niall Quinns and the Tony Cascarinos who chipped in. Um, and you've kind of had a little look at, I suppose, why we don't have a, a, a quality striker and, I suppose, the stats. Yeah, so stats first and foremost, right? I mean, Robbie Keane had 68 goals, right? Like, that's incredible. Incredible, in all, yeah. right? That's it's great. Like, it's like, what's, what was your man's name in, in Iran? Oh. Uh, not Delhi something, wasn't it? We played Ali, him. No, it's not Delhi Ali. That, that's that's fours. We, we, we'll come back to him. You, you Google that and we, we'll come back to him. But he scored like, I don't know, ridiculous amounts of goals. But we always kept saying that they were, he was playing against, you know, Saudi Arabia and some other team. Very high scoring games, at least. Yeah. yeah. So you have Robbie Keane, 68, right? But I mean, if you go back down to generations before that, right? Niall Quinn, 21 goals. Yeah. Stapleton, 20 goals. Uh, Cascarino 19 goals Aldridge who I always thought geez, he, you know, he went to World Cups with us he always thought he's a striker guy with a real great pedigree 19 goals yeah right so if you look at the newer guys that we would be more familiar with Kevin Doyle 14 goals yeah right Shane Long 17 goals Walters 14 McLean 10 you know and then you have Murphy on 3 Connolly remember David Connolly went off to Feyenoord one of them Excelsior goals, right? Excelsior there you go um, yeah so the question begs where are our goals going to come from in the next campaign because Shane Long at the moment is going through one of the worst droughts I know he scored a few weeks ago but mm. by and large the amount of time between Shane Long scoring is absolutely huge so where are the goals coming from and more importantly I'm asking the question why are we not producing goal scorers or why not in particular strikers yeah you know, like we, if you even go back 10 years into the Premier League, we never really had, other than Robbie, a striker at the top like that. Is it a case, part of the case, not just not all of it, obviously, but is it a case that the style of football that Ireland play doesn't lead to a, a goal scorer having the opportunities that he needs? Yeah, for sure. Is, he, is it a case that if you're playing one up front and he's isolated, that the chances are less and less and you have to finish that one out of two chances that you get, maybe? Yeah, well, at international level, that is the way it goes. And you might only get, you know, set pieces, for example, are a massive, massive plus. So unless you're a six foot forward, you're probably not going to score a lot of goals for Ireland in that regard. Um, but I'm more talking about club level. Okay. We're not even generating, you know, I, I had a little look, there's about a couple of ads online, and, or sorry, a couple of articles online, uh, there's a kid like who's 15 years old at Everton, a couple of kids in around the 20 years old, Reese Grigo, Owen Stoke, Sean Maguire, these guys, 
Cork City, Burnley, QPR, Leeds. Yeah. But, you know, obviously the Premier League is a, is barren for Ireland, regardless of strikers or not. But I'm more thinking of your next up-and-coming, like that, an 18, 19, 20-year-old that's going to burst onto the scenes, that's going to get you goals. But we have, in all fairness, we have never had that. Bar, bar Robbie Keane. I mean... What we knew before that was obviously Niall Quinn, but Don Givens, I think, who was one of the top strikers in, back in the day, he was seen as, oh, he's a great striker and blah, blah, blah. Then it went on to Niall Quinn and Cascarina, but they weren't setting the world on fire, so we never really had mm. a goal scorer. And John Aldridge was banging them in in England. Yep. Uh, albeit he's, uh, you know, he, he's Irish, but he's, you know, he's, he's born in England, but... He banged him in for them, but he didn't bang them in for Ireland because of the style, probably the style of play that was being played. Robbie Kane had the Robbie Kane had the benefit of being under Mick McCarthy, who was more of an offence minded. Now that's not to say that he, he's not he's a prolific goal scorer. That's it. You know, you give the ball to Robbie Kane in the box, and, and he had a fifty fifty chance of scoring a goal because he's just that type of player. But I don't think the the style of play suited a lot of the, the you know a goal scoring player yeah, you box, know a, a, a centre yeah. forward mm-hmm. I mean Noel Quinn great but a lot of goals came off Noel Quinn you know laying mm-hmm. them off and setting them up Cascarino the same knockdowns and stuff like that so it was, the style of play would have probably stuttered their goal scoring exploits maybe they mm-hmm. you know under a different manager maybe they would have scored more maybe they would have scored less but as we look at I suppose, and you can, we're going to be touching a bit on League of Ireland. When you look at the League of Ireland and you look at how, I think, Shamrock Rovers have uh, a thing in place where uh, football loves us or whatever it's called and they're mm. trying to promote people out playing street football and all. And then you watch the, the first match of the season there the other day between Shamrock Rovers and Bohemians and it's just long ball all the time. So we don't actually do ourselves any favours, do we? Mm, for sure. But I mean, if you look at it, we're based on the English system. We send our players into the English system. You know, the idea is to become very good at, a, at an Irish club and then progress into England. Whereas the English have no problem uh, producing forwards. Like you look at Harry Kane, Jamie Vardy, you know, then you have lads like Welbeck. They've always seemed to have strikers in their midst that are very very good mm. and yet we've never seemed to be able to break that mould and I mean never mm. I can't remember a time where there was like four or five Irish lads anywhere near scoring the way Robbie Keane scored no. and that's at in Premier League standard or anywhere like it yeah. it just worries it worries me you know going forward in the next another campaign coming up where the goal is going to come from uh, Owen Shanahan did you find that name uh, yeah similar to Dali Ali um, Ali Dai Ali Dai that's who it was <laughs> Ali Dai yes 109 goals in 149 games yeah so again so it's, it's probably not too far off but, but then again again, he probably he played Baligo you know Asia <laughs> Baligo sort of stuff. That's it. Uh, but yeah so I mean Robbie Keane excellent even though we all had our grumble about him as he came to the end of his, his, his career uh, but that's because we just wanted him to be the Robbie Kane that we always knew he was, yeah, you know. Uh, so, what, what, what's what? Can you put your finger on why? I don't know what it is. It's grassroots level. We don't seem to, you know. We were. I think the Irish ethic is work ethic. You know what I mean? We we've a great work ethic. We have uh, defenders, great defenders, great midfielders. You know, wing play. We're renowned for good wingers. You know, um, the likes of Robbie Brady, McLean, these up and coming guys, no problem holding their own in their teams. And yeah. I don't know what it is. Why, why at grassroots level are we not concentrating on enough is it, strikers? Yeah. Is it, is is it the uh, case that niche? we're just hoping that raw natural talent like Robbie Keane just comes through? 
and uh, we have centre forwards. Can they play? Can they? Can a ball stick? Yeah. Can they finish? Yeah. But we don't work on their movement and 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 stuff like that. Is it just? we're working off their raw talent and not actually trying to develop that talent because I don't see ever see a player like Shane Long I, I've, I haven't seen any aspect of his game where it's improved as in he's got pace he like he has good attributes but I, I haven't seen any other elements like when Niall Quinn in fairness to Niall Quinn Niall Quinn when he played with Ireland starting off he played with Arsenal Niall Quinn could only head a ball and his touch was terrible uh, but he did grow into it and when he, went, he was at Manchester City and Sunderland his touch was immense and that's mm. why uh, Kevin Phillips got so many goals so he improved his game so he'd seen that natural uh, hard work of you know working on his game and that's where he came in and he was such a big role for us but with Shane Long I don't see that Kevin Doyle didn't see that they, they had their own game and it never seemed to improve where you see uh, Ryan Giggs Ryan Giggs had a talent he raised that level and even when his level came down he, he changed his game to make yeah. him important in the team our lads seem to fizzle just fizzle away so there doesn't seem to be a development in their game even at the, the highest level yeah well that's the same like I mean obviously we have good you know you have kids school kids at the moment now there's 14s, 15s, 16s and you know they play at a very very high level what I'd say it could be something along the lines of it's a specialised position striker mm. like you, you manage teams coach teams uh, when will be you know you'll work on your defence you'll work on your shape you'll work on all that stuff when is it a time I'm even thinking myself where you go right we're going to concentrate on striker with his back to goal or it's just pure session yeah. for your one or two lads that are going to get your goals we probably don't do it yeah. and as you say if you look at you know your St. Kevin's and a few of these kids the top school kids they're probably the same where they bully teams through their middle yeah you know, there's no. Maybe they don't. You know, that's it. Where we're missing that little level of specialised. Kind I know of you say it when training. you when you look at this. A lot of the goals that you see, they're set up from opening teams up, and yeah. a lot of time can be just simple tap ins, or you know, they, they, they've destroyed a team through ball and they're, they're simple finishes. Where it, I suppose relatively, we don't we don't get one player who can. We, I don't think we've had this in a long time. I think Aidan McGeady, we thought he was going to be, and again, he's another fellow who stuttered in the same direction that we thought he could beat a couple of players and do something magic, but we don't have that type of player either. Damien Duff was Damien Duff was probably was, the last one, yeah. yeah again, that's, that's off his own raw natural talent. I don't yeah. think I, I, he'll probably admit it himself, and yeah, he might come on and talk, talk to us about it, but. Uh, he was a street footballer, you know, get out and on the road and just play and practice and dribble past people on, on, on the road. But you don't see these players coming in. They're very mechanical nowadays. It's like you're in midfield, get the ball, pass the ball, get the ball, pass the ball. Nothing wrong with that. But you need that little bit of flair and a bit of talent. And then you need some, you probably need people in positions who, the likes of Damien Duff, the likes of Robbie Keane, who can help mature players who have that little bit of something about go. them. But, uh, it's worrying, it is. It's very worrying for us, anyhow, isn't it, yeah, for, on, a, on a national level. Owen, what do you think? Um, yeah, like, I think there's, there's a couple of other things as well. Like, I think there still is that ignorance towards the, the League of Ireland in terms of, if you take Sean Maguire, for example, um, he was just completely ignored just because he was playing in Ireland. Yeah. And literally all you had to do was move house to England and he was straight in the squad there you go um, so there could be some goal scorers coming up that just are completely ignored that are, are that are able to play for Ireland but are being ignored because they're playing a certain league as you had Killian Sheridan on yeah that's true a few weeks ago yeah he's 
scoring as many goals as uh, Darren Murphy. Strikers, uh, yeah. yeah. Darren Murphy was only scored his first few goals only recently. And yeah. He kept getting into squads. Yeah. Kevin Doyle was getting in when he was in America, barely playing. Barely playing. Yeah. Um, and then on the other hand, it's again what I was saying about Scottish football earlier, jobs for the boys kind of thing, where like the person who's supposed to be shaping the next batch of senior internationals is Noel King. Yeah. Um, Talk about Noel King. I can see it in your eye there. <laughs> <laughs> He's obviously he had his moment from his time at the the senior team. When yeah, he's not a very doesn't come across as a very no, nice player. person. No, no. Um, but he hasn't done nothing particularly well with the underage teams to to justify being kept on. No, there a long time now, isn't yeah. it? It is a long time. Yeah, get, there is. That, listen, in every association, there's jobs for the boys. The FAI are. are you know they're known for the jobs of the boys, and if you look at League of Ireland, it's a it's a merry go round with managers because you can be managing shells one week and you can manage bowls the next week or next year, and it's it doesn't seem to be progressing on in that way. That there's there's a lot of old managers that are stuck yeah. in there, and you wonder where are new managers coming, where are the new coaches coming, where you know the league is actually progressing uh, there's no doubt about that they're having good crowds I think Sligo had 3,000 the other night uh, Shamrock Rovers and Bowes was a sellout seven and a half or 8,000 whatever it was so the crowds are there now they just need to get the football right they need to make it a, a spectacle and just touching on the match the other night hmm. it was abysmal and, I, and I've watched some good League of Ireland games last year but that match was absolutely dire it, and it was built up because it was a derby game uh, the passion and all that sort of stuff and that was all there the football wasn't it? it was absolutely atrocious and it was a bad example of what the League of Ireland is like the, the balls was a second or third goal yeah. goalkeeper long ball header header yeah. smashed at home it was, it's funny to but see but did you see their goal that, kicks that they, they talked about it at half time when they had the goal kicks they had every single person within a 20 yard area yeah. on the right or left hand side of the pitch and there'd be no one else anywhere else so they weren't even looking to get the ball down play it out yeah. it was real nervous stuff it was like can't afford to lose knock it long so if we're even though I'm talking about Rovers because they're promoting themselves as being you know a football and club and yep. whatever being brave and you know using their skills and get out on the street and and then when they go into the league game they, they crumbled in my opinion they crumbled and they didn't really play the football at times it was you're seeing a bit of football mm. but for the majority of the game I thought it was really really disappointing and if anyone's seen that game and that was their first League of Ireland game take a look at another game because that in my opinion was, a, was an atrocious example but would, you, would you say the, the, the venue you know the venue the crowd the atmosphere and all would anyone in the crowd have minded if you were an out-and-out Bowles fan, would you have minded you win 3-1? You play terrible football, would it have bothered you that night? Maybe it might bother you now, but... If you're a Shamrock Rovers fan, it would. Uh, Highlight of highlight the night, Roy. Well, let's, well, let's put it this celebration. way. Yeah, well, I've, I've seen a lot of comments, and there was a lot of... from Rovers fans, and there was a lot of comments from Rovers fans who weren't just exactly happy about everything that's going on in Shamrock Rovers. Right. That's always going to happen. Yeah. But I, I would say, if you're playing decent football... Um, and you know that there's a, a progression going on you can take a defeat on the chin if you mm. think you're not going anywhere and it's, it's a little bit primitive which it was the other night yeah, that'd be harder to take harder for to take. Rovers yeah. yeah okay listen we're going to go to a break local programs local presenters local news tune to Liffey Sound 96.4 FM um, welcome back to the big kickoff and Liffey Sound 96.4 FM Champions League 
did we watch Champions League this week? We did. Oh, it's great to have it back, isn't it? Because it is the pinnacle of, of, of football, club football. Uh, I don't go with the argument that Champions League is better than the World Cup. World Cup rules everything, in my opinion. Uh, it's just a bigger spectacle, but uh, it, it is a, a, a huge competition that gives you great entertainment. Uh, Neil, Spurs. Talk about Spurs. And did you get to see the game? I did. Um, really, really good game. I think they come out, they got... I don't know what happened to them in the first 15 minutes like they were shell-shocked making very unlike Spurs defensive errors trying to clear the ball 20 yards going to Juve players um, but they're very very impressive Spurs at the moment I think they're probably the most informed team and that maybe even includes City at the minute yeah. the way they're taking on the big teams the way they're going up against them to be 2-0 down away from home Champions League against Juve who are renowned for not giving away goals and to get back into that and draw two all is so so impressive. Um, yeah, they're they're going to. I tell you, people are saying after Liverpool's win the other night, but I mean, I wouldn't want to get Spurs either over two legs. I think they're well well capable of beating anybody. Yeah, the, the thing with the Spurs though, when you look at their team and you, you kind of go, God, yeah. On paper, sometimes it doesn't look like it's a, a, a an amazing team or anything, yeah. but they get out and they play really really good football. But they're effective in a way. I still can't put my finger on it. Why they're effective? Because they keep the ball well they do break well uh, Ericsson can be good and can be okay Son can be good and can be okay Eric Dyer is not really particularly a great player but is in week in week out I suppose he can be good and he can be okay um, Dembele I like Dembele is huge yeah, I he, think he's come really really good since Christmas as far as his I think he was so impressive again the other night couldn't get near him couldn't, yeah. absolutely couldn't get near him he's strong physical good on the ball and again, not necessarily the Juve game, but the Liverpool game, I thought he absolutely bossed the second half out there. He was just a giant. But I think it's a team. It's, oh, it's a team effort. And sure. It's a real showing of, of what a team can do if they work together. Like as a squad, it's, there's obviously Harry Kane now, but there's no... It's not like there's not lot, lots of star players, no, and they're all kind of on the same level and kind yeah. of quite good because like if you don't have Ben Davis playing at left back, you have Danny Rose, and if you don't have uh, Vertonghen, um, you have that Sanchez. Yeah. Out. So does this make a mockery of what I suppose Man United might be doing, even Liverpool to an extent, what we're doing, spending the huge money on players? That it's actually it's a team game. You need to work on your team rather than getting a, some sort of hyped up individual to come in and slot in the place and hope for, that they're going to change your team. I, I think it, it's you know it's a fair play to levy like whatever their wage cap is, one hundred twenty grand or mm. something like that. It shows it can be done. Yeah, but I still think there's a hairy edge of slipping into the Arsenal side of things where you go below, you drop down a little bit, you can't attract maybe the players. Like for example, Spurs are very very you know they're they're apt in the transfer market they don't go nuts but in two three years where you know can they keep recycling through yeah like is harry kane a one-off is what i'm saying yeah does he make the the, the whole difference to them which i guess he does it to this year anyway yeah, yeah. Um, and if he gets injured and if he's injured he's they're in trouble, injured, they're in trouble. <laughs> now the squad is better their squad is better than it was they brought in mora um, you know Sanchez in the back line they've got cover everywhere yeah. um, possibly except for Kane and but, they all uh, seem to be at the same level as well I mean, they're yeah, not, that's they're what not I'm saying yeah. loads of money on the, the one or two big players and then there's like say for example United like they have to spend a lot of money on Sanchez and Lukaku and all that and then you have like some kind of Fellaini coming off the bench or kind yeah. of that kind of yeah, you know, yeah, everyone yeah. seems to be at the same level at first you don't like Fellaini so <laughs> 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 listen uh, David Pleat was talking about Manchester City I think PSG will go very, very, very close. And I have to say, I can't see a team beating Manchester City at the moment.
Now, that's it. David Fleet can't see Manchester City getting beaten at the moment. He paused in mid-thing. But basically, he went on and talked about Manchester City uh, being really invincible and that he can't see anyone touching them. The counter uh, chat about it was that they didn't believe, uh, I can't remember the girl's name who was on it, but he didn't believe that, uh, or she didn't believe that Guardiola's defensive strategies are going to hold up. So is this Champions League is talking? This is Champions League. Okay. I definitely think they can be undone. Yeah. Um as good as they are going forward, I think they still suffer from, you know, Liverpool's same syndrome of you do leave yourself very, very open, playing that many attacking players, playing a little bit gung ho at times. But I mean, that team the other night they played City. I know City made it was a Basel, was it? Yeah. They made it short work of them, but your man was true on goal two one and ones yeah. had a couple of chances that a better striker would have taken them so if you're a Barcelona and you're game. playing against Manchester oh, yeah. Manchester City there's goals he had yeah, yeah it's a different situation then yeah. altogether then and Barcelona are better in the back line this year they're better set up yeah. this year this it'd be a great so. game to see wouldn't it yeah it'd be a brilliant game to see ok I'm just going to quickly Champions League Neil who's going to win it I'll say Barcelona ok on Um. Yeah, I probably have to agree because I don't think even watching Real Madrid and PSG, big ones. Are, I don't think any of them are going to win it. Okay. Um, I can't see any of the English clubs win. Okay. Um, so and Barcelona are just the English clubs haven't turned the corner enough to to go um, on. They're, they're obviously I think doing better. Close. They yeah. will be close. Or there's just a couple of good contenders. Yeah. Okay. Um, and what about Europa League, Neil? Hmm. Winning. <laughs> <laughs> you don't sound like you're interested. Uh, it depends if they turn up, I guess. Uh, Atletico could do well. Yeah. No. Um, hopefully Celtic, but um, like it's it's lucky you have a lot of good teams in there. Um, it's very go for, go for Dortmund. That's it. There you go. Put your money down. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Neil. Thank you. See you again. Talk to you next week.